and welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Al Melchior, breaking down a strange weekend on the waiver wire, I would say, because I felt like last week was a great week, especially for August. I think it was just a great week in general. And as we were putting the rundown together for today's show, normally we talk about hitters first because they have a little more widespread appeal, it seems. We had to flip it. We're talking pitchers early on this episode, Al, because the bats are very underwhelming. So uh, with that said, if you're joining us live on YouTube this morning, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe to this channel, and send us some questions if you got some hitters that you're thinking about, because I am finding that there is not much out there in the way of upgrades this weekend in the bulk of my leagues. But let's start with the pitching. I teased it before. I like some of these names. We talked about Eliezer Hernandez uh, throughout the week, and he came back from the IL last weekend, was available last weekend, so he got scooped up in a decent number of competitive leagues. Had a pretty tough spot going up against the Reds last time out, but I like this matchup even better. Home against a watered-down Nationals team, and Hernandez was pitching really well before his IL stint to begin the season, so uh, is he even like a 10-team mixed league sort of consideration for you in the leagues where he's still available? I think he could be. I mean, he's maybe borderline there, so it maybe depends on what your need is for pitching. But certainly once you get into 12-team territory, Hernandez is a must-add if he's still out there. And somebody I think that you would start in 12-teamers more often than not. So uh, that's where I feel feel certainty about his value. 10-teamers, uh, yeah, I think he's on the fringe there. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, over a strikeout printing again this season. We saw that in the shortened season. We saw it back in 2019 from Hernandez as well. Uh, but I'll take the under on the career ratios for the rest of the season. He's got a 476 career ERA because of some damage done very early on. Those first two seasons, the ERA was up above five. I don't think that's his true talent level. I'll take the under on a 126 whip from him the rest of the way as well. So I think he's one of the more appealing, at least shallow league options out there where available. Uh, this next guy, Tyler McGill, what does he have to do to be universally rostered? I think I said the same thing two weeks ago. I can't believe he's still out there in a decent number of leagues. And I, I say that realizing that roster rates this time of year can be a little bit misleading. There are some leagues that have teams that have just given up, right? That's obviously part of what happens at this point in the year. But Tyler McGill looks like a legitimately good big league starter. It looks like a guy that's going to be a part of this Mets rotation uh, even beyond the end of this season, based on what we've seen so far. Uh, we're talking 60 Ks against 15 walks now in 56 innings over his first 11 big league starts. Is there something I'm missing? Is there some kind of big correction coming that I'm not seeing with, with McGill? I don't think so. I, I really don't see any reason to think that there would be a correction coming. And yeah, we do have to calibrate those roster rates to sort of judge what the level level of interest might be uh, for players who are still available. But I'm puzzling over this one too, DVR. I, I would say the same thing about McGill that I said about Hernandez and, and maybe even with a little bit more emphasis that I think that he would be starting most weeks in 12-team leagues. I think he's got a place in 10 teamers. Maybe doesn't doesn't have to be universally rostered in the shallowest of leagues, but he's out there in far more leagues than I really can understand why uh, he would be out there. Yeah, I I don't have a good explanation for it. He gets two starts this week. The first one's tough. I mean, look, the Giants are a good team offensively. You and I talked about them in detail on Thursday. You wrote a great piece about uh, how successful they have been since the sticky stuff crackdown for the Athletic. 
Uh, and they were, I mean, they weren't a bad offense before that, but they right. just seemed to keep making adjustment after adjustment and getting as much mileage out of that group of hitters as really, I think, any coaching staff possibly could have. I think our expectations for them as a group were very reasonable coming into the season. Uh, but Washington, I mean, I, I mentioned it with Hernandez. I think that's a lineup you can actually pick on with pitchers far below the skill level of Hernandez and McGill at this point because they traded so many players away at the deadline. It's not a complete pushover lineup. It's not uh, the Iowa Cubs just being pushed up into Chicago. Like, like That group is one you can absolutely pick on with just about everybody. But it's more of like an average or slightly below average Nats lineup than one to actually fear, which I think was the case back when the season started. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, even with that tough matchup uh, against the Giants, uh, I just don't see anything. I, I don't think that uh, McGill is really matchup dependent uh, after what he's shown us. So I don't worry about it. Agreed. So definitely in on Tyler McGill, wherever he might still be available. And I'm definitely in on Nestor Cortez. This is part of the year of the Nando. Can't believe we didn't make t-shirts for that yet. Still time left, though. Yeah. So we'll, maybe that might, be a, that might be a thing that carries into football season. I want to see if some of Nando's guys just start going off the first couple weeks of, of fantasy football season once we get started there. But Nestor Cortez, I mean, what more could you want from him at this point? At Oakland, not an easy matchup. I think people sleep on the fact that this is an Oakland lineup that has been uh, an above-average offensive unit for the season. They do score a decent number of runs. We talked about Matt Chapman starting to heat up on Fantasy Baseball in 15 on Friday. Matt Olson's been a completely different hitter this year with that K-rate way down compared to his career norms. All that being said, Nestor Cortez to me is in the circle of trust. I think in just about all matchups, he is a guy that I'm going to throw out there at this point in the season. I agree. I'm with with you on that too. I can understand a little bit better maybe if people have been reluctant to add him just because up until very recently, I think there were legitimate questions about what his longer term role was going to be and whether or not he was going to go back to being a bulk reliever or a swingman. Uh, maybe even some questions about how he would perform as a starter, but I don't think he has anything left to prove or anything for us to be worried about at this point with either opportunity or performance. And yeah, this could be a tough matchup, but I think uh, Cortez is, uh, has shown us enough to be trusted with it. Not usually the case where I like a pitcher more on the road than at home in a particular matchup, but I think in this instance, I actually prefer Cortez facing the A's in Oakland as opposed to facing them in Yankee Stadium, just given some of the things that they can do pretty well, especially with the long ball. Uh, the next guy on the list, I think, is really interesting just because you don't have that same level of confidence, right? With Hernandez and McGill and Cortez, I think you and I are on the same page. Yes, we, we like those three guys. We want to pick them up where they're available, and we want to throw them in the bulk of their matchups. This matchup for Luis Patino is a good one at Baltimore. Yeah, the park's a challenge, but obviously that's a bad lineup that just about any decent big league pitcher can navigate. Patino actually pitched really well against the White Sox over the weekend. I was watching that start yesterday while building some furniture. Uh, so that means I was, you know, checking highlights as I was listening to the game. But I, I like what Patino is doing so far this season. 53 Ks in 51 and two-thirds innings. The ratios are still going to get better for me. The bat projects him for a 419 ERA the rest of the way. He's at 453 right now. The whip, I think, could still get better over time as the walk rate comes down. But maybe that doesn't happen right away. I think the bigger question is with Luis Patino, if you're contending, we're just talking about redraft leagues only, is he good enough in enough of his starts where you actually want to have him on your roster consistently 
for the rest of the season? Because I think both you and I want to stream him where we can, Mm -hmm. but are you going to hold him beyond this really good start against Baltimore? I might not. And I would add a second concern to that. Maybe it's not as legitimate as the one that you raised, but with raised pitchers, for the most part, I do worry about innings. And when is there or will there be a decision to piggyback Patino with somebody? So uh, that's something that maybe makes me a little reluctant to to count on him week in, week out, long term, and maybe think of him as a drop candidate if there's somebody I really want to stream for a week or so. So, I, yeah, I'm pretty reluctant to to count on Patino rest of season as you know anything more than a streamer. And I'm also honestly, I, I don't look at this as a slam dunk at Baltimore because. There have been times in my daily leagues where I've streamed players against Baltimore on the, uh, or rather at home, thinking, yeah, I know they're kind of a middle of the pack offense when they're at Camden Yards, but it's the Orioles. And uh, I've gotten burned a few times with that. So I think I kind of need to trust the numbers on that and realize that they have some hitters who maybe don't look like uh, they're too dangerous, but uh, they can put up big numbers uh, at their home park. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a gross lineup that, Everybody yeah. carves up, but I, I still I are on the side more of, of chasing wins, especially this time of year. I think the Rays are, you know, gonna be huge favorites in that game. That kind of gives me that extra little confidence that I need. I think the reason I'm extra concerned about Patino, though, if you're schedule watching beyond this week, he should catch the Red Sox at home for his next turn. Not crazy about that in a lot of situations. And then he gets the Red Sox again, the start after that, based on the way the schedule lines up right now, if everything holds up. So there might be two weeks where he's on your bench if you're not using him and you have to stash him. It's hard to stash everyone, especially with injuries always kind of piling up and, and making some more tough decisions too. So I, I see him as a little more of a streamer than a must-hold, even though I'm very excited about the long-term future of Luis Patino. Uh, still time to get in on the Carlos Hernandez train. I don't know... I guess we could say Ian Kahn is the conductor uh, of this train at this point. Hernandez, though, I, I think he's kind of a, a sneaky find for the Royals. I think we all expected this to come from the bigger name prospects there, Daniel Lynch and Brady Singer, uh, Jackson Coar, and they're going to have, I think, a useful back-end starter at a minimum from Hernandez, but there's still a possibility that we see more than that. And I think what really stands out to me, Al, look at his last four starts. He's faced the Astros, the Yankees, and the White Sox twice. The Astros got him a little bit last time out, but he still got through six innings, which is really impressive. He's gone at least five in each of those four starts. He only gave up two earned runs in those previous three starts combined, the two against the White Sox and the one against the Yankees. I think the stuff is good. Control is an issue. Where do you fall right now, though, on Seattle as an opponent? Because we know as a park, it's a more pitcher-friendly environment than, say, Camden Yards. But in my mind, Seattle's offense is actually a tick better than Baltimore's, or at least has the potential to do more damage than Baltimore's. So where do you fall in this matchup, and where do you fall on Hernandez in a, in a bigger window? Well, you know how I talked about the Orioles uh, burning me in terms of streaming pitchers against them at home. Uh, I have yet that I can remember to be burned at streaming a pitcher against the Mariners at their their home park. They've consistently been, I haven't looked at the rankings in maybe two or three days. Maybe it's changed. I kind of doubt it because consistently throughout the season, the Mariners have had the lowest WOBA uh, in their own home park of any team and usually by a pretty big margin. So I feel, you know, with a, a good pitcher like Hernandez, 
I feel really, really safe about streaming him in 12-teamers and, and anything deeper than that. All right, so you see him as a good pitcher. So you see him as someone that you would oh, yeah. would trust more often than not. I mean, I think the key difference for me comparing him to someone like Patino is there are softer landing spots in the AL Central. The schedule could be much more kind to Hernandez beyond the Seattle start. He gets another mm-hmm. crack at the White Sox, actually, at home at least. So like, if I'm choosing between Patino against the Red Sox next week or Hernandez against the White Sox, and I don't have the option of going to plan C, which I would try to do if I could, I think I would actually prefer Hernandez by a very slight margin. I, I just as good as the White Sox are, at least if you get him in KC, maybe he can go five plus again and actually sneak out a win if the Royals find a way to put a few runs on the board that day. But I'm definitely in on the talent with Carlos Hernandez. And yeah, it's weird that Seattle's that bad at home because <laughs> if you look at the names in the lineup, they shouldn't be that yeah. bad. A two eighty nine Woba at home, next lowest Texas and Miami at 297, and Pittsburgh, the only other team under 300. The Brewers are a 300 Woba team at American Family Field, too. That's really surprising because that offense, every time you see highlights, it's like Willie Adamas or Avi Garcia hitting a home run. It's unbelievable what that offense is doing on the road compared to what they've done in what are normally friendly hitter confines at home. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's talk about Jesus Lazardo for a moment. It's a two-start week for him. He's got the Nats and the Reds. Not an easy combination of matchups, but both of those matchups coming in Miami, which I think gives you a little extra confidence. At this point, he's more of a, well, my ratios are messed up anyway. I just need volume sort of play. Are you seeing anything since the move to Miami that gives you reason to believe that he could have a late-season turnaround coming on the horizon? I'm not seeing it. I I just I'm puzzled as to why the season has gone so poorly for Luzardo. And I I had some really high hopes when he came to Miami and when they put him in the rotation and thinking maybe change of scenery, good ballpark. But um, I've not really seen uh, improvement. So I don't trust uh, Luzardo with that two step. And just to go back to the Kansas City situation, I'm not saying that this is. Uh, necessarily the best move or the safest move. But if I had a choice between streaming Lazardo with those matchups versus Daniel Lynch, who also gets the Mariners in Seattle, uh, I believe on Sunday, starts off at Houston. Astros have been just hitting okay of late. Uh, I would consider that much more uh, enthusiastically than I would streaming Lazardo this week. All right, so Daniel Lynch over Jesus Lazardo as a streamer for the upcoming week for you. I'd, I'd rather not use either one of them if I could. But um, <laughs> again, there, there's, at a certain point, you've, you, we've reached the point in the season now where it doesn't really matter. Like if, if you're not winning the league or on the brink of taking the lead, 
take some chances. You know, see what, see if something goes right for any one of these like younger pitchers that are still trying to find their way. Uh, I think we talked about him last week. Beller and I looked at him. Mike Miles Michaelis is back. He gets the Pirates again this time on the road. Having seen it for a start, do you have a little more confidence in Michaelis this time around? Yeah, he was good enough in that first start that uh, I'm fine to stream him against the Pirates. And, uh, you know, I, I was going to note this later on, but since we're talking about a Pittsburgh matchup here, I've been picking and picking and picking against the Rangers uh, pretty much since the All-Star break because they've just been woeful. They've been slightly less woeful lately. And for the month of August, so really we're talking about post-trade deadline, the Pirates actually have a lower WOBA and a lower ISO. I believe it's, yeah, they've got the lowest uh, of both of those stats in the majors. So you could actually look at the Pirates as the best team to stream against right now. And Michaelis is good enough to take advantage of that based on what we saw the first time out. Yeah, I would definitely throw almost anybody against the Pirates right now. Sorry, Pirates fans. Just the simple truth about the state of the team right now. But the future is actually pretty bright in Pittsburgh, relatively speaking. A lot of talent coming to that organization. Uh, so maybe by the time we get to August of like 2023, we won't be throwing anyone and everyone against the Pirates and expecting a good result. But I'm, I'm there with you on Michaelis as well. I mean, I, I think he's going to give you innings, high win probability in that spot. All the things you're looking for uh, at this point in the season. A couple other names that I think are, are interesting here for this week. Eric Fetty gets a two-start week at Miami and at the Mets. Can you sell me on Fetty over the likes of Lizardo and Daniel Lynch? Well, I think if you're in a different situation where um, you're just trying to see what kind of sticks against the wall, then I, I think if you know if you really are. And, and I know this is going to sound weird because we're talking about Eric Fetty, who's almost universally unrostered. But um, those matchups are terrific. I mean, the, the Mets are not that much farther ahead than the Pirates in terms of their offensive performance for the month of August. The Marlins are a team that they've actually not been too bad offensively lately, but we've picked on them pretty consistently all year long. They're not really, you look at that lineup up and down, it's not a lineup that you would fear streaming somebody against. You get them both in their respective home parks, uh, which are very, very good for pitchers. And Fetty, I think, you know, he's, he's a decent strikeout pitcher. I don't think you're really looking at somebody that um, you have to rely on them to manage contact. Uh, and I just, I think he's good enough. So I think if I'm in a situation where I'm fearing risk a little bit more than a situation where I would stream Daniel Lynch, let's say, that um, would be somebody I would, I'd be pretty interested in. I'll, I'm looking at him in a 12 teamer this week. All right. That's uh, not something I would have expected us to be <laughs> saying a few months ago. So things have changed a lot, but it does speak to, the struggles the Mets have had to score runs, which is uh, very well documented at this point. And yet I still see that at NYM or versus NYM on the schedule. And sometimes I, I pause a little bit because I expect them. I've expected them for months to start to turn things around. I think when the season began, they looked like a shoe in to be an easy top 10 offense in the league and one that you would not try to stream against on a very regular basis. But obviously it's played out much differently than that. Uh, Dylan Bundy. Back in the rotation for the Angels, Al, what do you think about him uh, this time around? Do you think he's been able to correct some of the issues that were plaguing him earlier this season? He's been a little better, but not good enough that I would really trust him as a one-start streamer. I mean, I'm trying to imagine, okay, Dylan Bundy at Pittsburgh, Dylan Bundy versus Texas, eh, maybe, but... 
I mean, I had some qualms about, uh, for example, starting Marco Gonzalez against the Rangers, and obviously that you know was unnecessary because he did just fine against them, and I think it was three starts uh, within the last few weeks. Um, you know, I I, th- I would put Bundy a, a peg below Marco Gonzalez at this point. So yeah, I'm just going to wait and see and, and see how he does against Baltimore again, especially in Baltimore. I would downgrade my my uh, willingness to uh, to take a chance on Bundy. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to be careful with him. He was a clear drop for me a few months ago, and I'm just I'm not ready to trust him again, especially in a in a park that wreaked so much havoc on him for so long in his career. I mean, the home run issues he had during his time with the Orioles are a problem, and I still think he's got a little ways to go before I'm going to consider him a late-season streaming option. Uh, other names that I saw on the starting pitcher grid for the upcoming week Justin Steele, who's part of the Cubs rotation right now, gets a matchup at home at Wrigley against the Rockies. That's pretty good. And I just have a a simple question for you. Is Justin Steele good? Is he good enough to use in this matchup? Do you want to stream him or is he more of a contingency bid fallback option for you? I mean, given the other choices, probably the latter, probably a contingency bid. But I have to say, when you put Steele's name on the rundown, I was like, really? And then I went and looked. It's like, oh yeah, this is this is really a good call. Uh, and you know, of course, you know, against the the Rockies uh, on the road, you know, the the counterpoint to um, the the Mariners at home, uh, almost always a good matchup. And and you have to be pretty unreliable to not be able to take advantage of uh, the Rockies away from Coors Field. So I like this one DVR. And if this were a more scarce week in terms of pitching streamers, I think I'd be putting some primary bids on on steel this week at least a one dollar backup guy though behind some of these names that we like a lot more Uh, his teammate keegan thompson is at the white Sox. i don't want to throw keegan thompson against the white Sox. i do want to see a little more what he brings to the table and, and see if there's something there because it's easy to take these very bad teams down the stretch and sort of just discount everybody they're throwing out there and just say no not interested team's not good enough they're not going to score runs they're not going to get run support they traded away all their good relievers but you can find value digging through the corners like this, and um, I, I, I could see I could see a guy like Steele or a guy like Thompson coming through with a couple of good starts in September and, and actually being a difference maker because it really doesn't take that much uh, for that to materialize. Uh, let's talk about a few relievers to consider for this weekend. I saw a couple things that surprised me, and again, this probably goes back to what I was saying before, where you have a good number of leagues where you have some teams that have kind of moved on for the season, but Michael Givens is still available in 66% of CBS leagues. He's got four saves now for the Reds since August 5th. Uh, a 10-7 to strikeout to walk ratio and nine and two-thirds innings so far with the Reds, but we've seen in the bigger picture, pretty good skills from him overall, so even if he's not an elite closer, it really looks like he's starting to take the bulk of the opportunities, if not all the opportunities for the Reds. Yeah. And so in, in a season where, uh, you know, in an, uh, a landscape where sometimes you just have to take a chance on somebody who looks like they have an opportunity, even if there's a skill profile that you don't love, um, Givens is as good as anybody, I think, at this point. You know, any league where saves are scarce, uh, he's somebody who certainly has had past success and maybe he tightens up that, uh, that walk rate. I mean, it also in a way, does remind me a little bit of uh, Heath Embry's role, or run, rather, as the Reds' closer. Very brief, but, you know, for, what, about a week or so, it looked like he had that locked down. And I remember having a conversation, I think it was with Michael Beller, 
uh, about how I didn't trust somebody with such a low ground ball rate pitching for the Reds. And, you know, we both kind of came around to, well, he's been pretty solid lately. It's working so far. You know, don't don't fix what ain't broke. And uh, I have to wonder if maybe that is going to be Givens' fate. You know, a week or two from now, we'll be talking about how, you know, he walked in runs too many tight situations and I could see that happening too but you know what's going to be your better alternative at this point yeah I think he's at least going to get for every five save chances the Reds have or if they have five more the rest of the way I would expect four of them to go to Givens based on what we've seen more recently and he might sweep them he might get all five which is pretty nice given how frustrating that bullpen has been really since the departure of Rysel Iglesias um, the other reliever news that I saw that I thought was relevant for the pursuit of saves was Diego Castillo has been sent for an MRI. He's on the IL right now with what they're calling shoulder inflammation, so he's going to be out for a little while. Paul Sewald still out there in nearly two-thirds of CBS leagues. Is he the clear-cut guy, or at least does he have a large enough share of the save chances in Seattle where he's the guy you want to go after where the entire bullpen is available? Yeah, I think he's the guy to go after. I would wouldn't go as far to say the clear cut guy, primary closer, anything like. Well, maybe primary, but not certainly not so closer. Uh, but I think in leagues where Seawald is already rostered, that I think Drew Steckenrider is uh, a worthwhile pickup. So I, I think that there'll be some uh, sharing of the load there, and those two relievers probably get the the biggest shares of all. The second Drew Steckenrider mentioned on this podcast in the last uh, few episodes, I know. Uh, Ian brought him up on uh, Under the Radar this week as someone he was going after as well. So we're, we're a little bit split on that. I do like Seawald quite a bit. I think he deserves more of the chances, but it is a question as to whether or not they will actually commit to him as their main closer at this point. Let's move on to some hitters, Al. I mentioned this up top. It's a strange group. I mean, you got a bunch of guys that are going to play a lot. You just don't have a lot of guys that you feel good about from a, a skills standpoint. And the first guy we're going to talk about kind of fits into the opposite of that description because skills-wise, Jose Barrero looks really good. He tore up double-A AA and triple-A to get this promotion up to the Reds. Playing time is not a certainty. He is starting today. I think he's playing second base on Sunday for them. And he can move around. He can play short really well. He can play second. He could probably play a little bit in the outfield if they want him to play out there. Uh, how are you handling Barrero as one of the more skilled bats available in some leagues, but one who has pretty uncertain playing time, at least in the short term. I think probably for me, the the ceiling is 15 teamers uh, looking there. Maybe if I, I really need to fill a playing time hole because of uh, uh, an injury or, you know, somebody maybe who's not playing as much lately. Because, uh, I mean, the Reds pretty much told us what they were going to do with Barrero. I mean, he was going to be a guy off the bench, um, you know, start here and there uh, at different positions. And unless there's an injury, I don't see any reason to think that there's going to be a switch from that. Or maybe if Kyle Farmer really just has a couple of weeks where he just loses it at the plate and he's been really consistent. So it's it's odd to think that, uh, you know, it's Kyle Farmer that's blocking Barrero, uh, but he's had a really nice season. So uh, if we're not used to that that idea yet, I think it's it's definitely time to. Yeah, you can count me among the people who were skeptical of Kyle Farmer being a solution for the Reds at shortstop this season. That definitely was someone I was wrong about because he has played well and played well enough to, I think, hold the job to the end of the season. I think they'll reevaluate in the winter. And Barrero could be one of those guys where if he was available in your keeper or your dynasty league and came up, you picked him up, he's not playing a lot right now. He might be someone you hold on to who ends up having a ton of value 
uh, in the not so distant future, even though the stretch run might be limited for him, barring an injury to somebody in that infield mix. Let's talk about Connor Joe. He was a big topic of last week's waiver show and still available in nearly 80% of CBS leagues. I almost think this is more of a do you hold him if you already picked him up sort of question because the Rockies are not going on the road for their next three series. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And my only question really with Connor Joe at this point is when does Rymel Tapia come back? It doesn't look like it's going to be soon enough that you would want to bench Joe this week or, or drop him so or avoid picking him up. So I think, you know, at least for one more week, Connor Joe's got a role and has an opportunity to, to be really productive. Yeah, I think maybe in like a 15-team league or deeper, he's a hold for me. At a 12, I'm definitely poking around looking for something a little bit better, someone with better matchups, someone in a more hitter-friendly environment. But I think he is still rosterable so long as Tapia is on the IL. Uh, Derek Hill came back for the Tigers recently. I think he's pretty interesting. I know the the path has been a bit longer than people might have wanted it to be for him to become a, a big league player, but he's a former first rounder. He's shown speed everywhere he's played. He's putting some power with it this season as well. I think this could be a guy that ends up sticking around in Detroit for a while, and I think he does so many things well for us as fantasy managers that we'd be foolish not to consider him because I think they're going to play him a lot and just see what they have for the future. I agree. I don't really worry too much about the playing time given the state of the Tigers roster right now. I love that skills combination. And if nothing else, I mean, you figure you're going to get steals. You should get steals from Derek Hill. And uh, that's not easy to find. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm as intrigued as you are, DVR. Yeah, walking more than he has in the upper levels of the minor league so far as a big leaguer. Small sample, only 91 plate appearances, getting the K rate down a little bit at, two thir- at 23.1%. Uh, and he's for the season now, he's 10 for 13 as a base dealer combined between AAA and the big league, six for eight at the highest level. So nothing for them to lose by letting Derek Hill run whenever he gets on base. And as he said, steals are ridiculously hard to find right now. So I think if you're looking at someone in a 15 team league that could replace Connor Joe, Hill might be the kind of guy that I'd go out and get. If you could stream that spot, I think you'd, you'd get him without having to spend a lot in uh, fab this weekend. Let's talk about Chad Pinder for a moment. I think the question for me is, will he play enough against righties to make an impact for mixed leaguers down the stretch? Like, There's always that bit of power. I like the second base outfield combination because of the versatility that you get on your roster each and every lineup period. But is the playing time going to be there? Because historically, it mostly starts against lefties for Pinder. Is there an opportunity for him to play more than usual, though, given some of the A's needs right now? Yeah, I'm not really seeing that opportunity for Pender. So I think it is more of um, a, a daily league situation for him where you can plug him in when he gets that start against lefties. And it's not just that he, I think he'll play a lot against lefties, but he can put up really good numbers against lefties. So daily leagues, certainly, as you mentioned, you know, AL only leagues deeper, deeper formats. Uh, I actually mentioned him in next week in fantasy baseball because when I was writing that late on Thursday, it looked like uh, the A's were going to have four left-handed starters going up against them. Now it projects to three, and it's funny how that seems to make a big difference. But you know, a four-start week with somebody who's got favorable matchups—that's you know—then you're starting to look at maybe 14, 15 team leagues as somebody who could really help you. Uh, I think you're going to have those kinds of leagues or those kinds of weeks. Um, pretty sparingly, and especially you know, with the season down to its last quarter at this point. Um, 
you know, maybe you're only going to see that once or twice with Pinder. So at this point, I, I would agree with you, DVR, that he's he's pretty much a daily league and a deep league option. Let's talk about a guy who was picked up and has been productive uh, already. Frank Schwindel, but still out there in a decent number of leagues, mashing with the opportunity. It's not a good supporting cast, as I hinted at earlier. Uh, but what's your interest level in Frank Schwindel in leagues where he's still available? Well, I'm disappointed that's Schwindel because I, I had been pronounced to get Schwindel, which just you know makes for more pun opportunity, but <laughs> um, in terms of fancy production opportunity, I, I've just I've I've just kind of passed on him, and maybe that's just uh, at my own expense because you can't argue with what he's done so far for the Cubs, but it doesn't really jive with a lot of his uh, past track record. And uh, it's very limited in terms of the major leagues, just basically a cup of coffee with the Royals a couple years ago. But uh, the minor league numbers don't don't really blow me away. So maybe this is just maybe it's a, you know another Patrick Wisdom situation where he's going to be able to sustain this. I have found hitters uh, the last few weeks that I've I've been more interested in. What's interesting though for me with Swindell is just like he's been above average as a minor league player going all the way back to like double a in 2016 i mean he's been old for the level everywhere yeah. he's ever played but on a bad kansas city team at the end of his time in that organization even in detroit i'm just surprised he didn't find big league playing time sooner k rates are never really out of control bad so that's encouraging because a lot of guys who spend this much time in the minor leagues who are first baseman, they have that Patrick Wisdom 30-plus percent K rate. They, they have that flaw, like that contact flaw, and Schwindel doesn't have that. So I'm a little bit intrigued. I probably missed out in some of my most competitive leagues because people just saw the playing time tick up and jumped all over it in the last couple of weeks. Uh, but I'm, I'm a little more optimistic than you are, but I think it comes with that question, why didn't he get a chance sooner given the organization's uh, that he was playing in. Uh, so again, playing time is sort of everything this time of year. Uh, there's another name in Chicago that I think is is garnering a little bit of interest. Michael Hermosillo. And he's part of the outfield rotation. We already got Rafael Ortega uh, getting a lot of run as the leadoff guy for the Cubs. Any interest in Hermosillo, at least in deeper leagues, where he might be out there? I suppose, when we talk about deeper leagues, I suppose NL only, where uh, if I wait for the results, it's probably going to be too late. Mm -hmm. But I am concerned about the playing time, even on a stripped-down Cubs roster. So that's probably my my biggest concern. I mean, if he was playing as uh, consistently as Schwindel was, I would be looking at uh, Hermosillo in probably 14, 15 team leagues because he's somebody who certainly profiles to steal some bases. It's a little odd to me he actually hasn't stolen more in his career so far. But uh, there's that stolen base potential and a little bit of power. So, um, you know, I, I am taking a wait-and-see approach uh, right now, but uh, on my watch list for 14, 15-team leagues. Yeah, just a nice power-speed combo at AAA. I, I would hold off in most mixers right now, but a name to file away in case uh, they do lose another outfielder in the current playing time mix in Chicago. Uh, another opportunity for Yoshi Satsugo, of course. This time it's in Pittsburgh. This actually seems better for me than the opportunities he's had in Tampa Bay and with the Dodgers this year just because those are much more crowded depth charts. So they can afford to just say, hey, you're going to play almost every day. You're going to play as much as we need you to play, mostly against lefties so far, but hitting fourth and fifth in the order when the Pirates give him opportunities. 
what do you think it looks like when we flip ahead to, to next week or two weeks from now? Do you think he will have played enough to have made an impact this time around as a deep mixed league consideration? I'm really viewing him similarly to Hermosillo, even though it would seem, as I, I hear you suggesting, that he should have a better shot at regular playing time. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm just waiting to see it. So could be a good speculative pickup in ML only. But other than that, I'm just keeping an eye to see if he's really going to be worth the roster spot in anything shallower. Yeah, just uh, there's not enough there yet for me to think he's more than just like a $1 bottom of the list, need someone who's playing sort of pick up in deeper mixed leagues. But hopefully for his sake, we'll see a consistent opportunity here down the stretch because it's been just a, a bumpy path for him to uh, to this point. Let's talk about Jorge Mateo for a moment. Another longtime favorite of our friend Nando Defino, but maybe actually getting his opportunity in Baltimore this season after getting kind of stuck on a, a really good San Diego depth chart last year. And you can play him all over. He's got speed, which is hard to find. Can you talk me out of Jorge Mateo, or is he actually one of the more interesting hitters available in some leagues at this point? Yeah, I'm not going to try to talk you out of him. I mean, it's you're not expecting any kind of power from him. What you're hoping for is playing time and steals. And right now, Mateo's delivering both of those things. So uh, to me, he's a, a step up from the last couple of players that we've talked about. Um, he's getting a lot of regular play with the Orioles. So um, I'm definitely going to want to ride that for as long as I can right now and uh, try to pick him up. Uh, 12 teamers, I, I would say, is is uh, going a little overboard, but pretty much anything deeper, and especially where I have the need for steals. And as you pointed out for the rundown, 13 starts in a row before a day off on Saturday, eight stolen bases along the way. So definitely someone that could help you in that category at the very least. And the Orioles have uh, very few options to play over him at this point, so they should let him play a lot and just see how he handles himself in a prolonged look against big league pitching. Let's talk about Kevin Smith for a moment. I think he's kind of an under-the-radar sort of prospect because there's not really a place for him to play long-term in Toronto unless Marcus Semien departs as a free agent this winter, which absolutely could happen, but they could also just replace Semien with another veteran if they wanted to. And Smith has a nice power-speed combo. A little bit old at this point to be like a top, top prospect, but I at least see him as a useful AL only guy where for the starter two that he might get any given week, he does offer some speed. He obviously has some power to go along with it. And the questions really are circled around his hit tool. Like, is he going to hit enough to keep the average where it needs to be? I think people are really worried because in 2019 at AA, Kevin Smith hit 209 with a 263 OBP, struck out 32.3% of the time. This year at AAA, Coming off the lost season, brought the K rate way down, 23.6%, was walking more than ever with 11.4% walk rate, and had 19 homers against 16 steals in 19 attempts in 82 games at the AAA level. Like That's a good turnaround. That's a really nice profile. I realize he did it as a 24-year-old, but prior to that AA season, Kevin Smith had handled every assignment he'd received as an above-average hitter and looked like a tooled-up guy that could play up the middle. Yeah, and no, I agree with that whole assessment that uh, you might not really be able to get much from him, but just on the chance that he somehow works his way into some playing time with that skill profile, not much to lose, especially when you are talking about AL-only leagues or some deep mixed formats where you know, your alternatives aren't really going to be any more interesting than that. And I think one type of, of league that 
I know it's just not a common type of league, but I play in a, a league. It's a 17 team keeper league where you can hold up to 15 players and 10 minor leaguers in a league like that. When you can throw a dollar or two at someone like Kevin Smith, stash him away for the last few weeks of the season and just see what happens in the off season. He's exactly the type of player you want to take that sort of off season lottery ticket on and just see, you don't have to commit to him. You're not stuck with him. But you can just see how the playing time develops if the Simeon situation happens. If a trade happens, Kevin Smith could be a trade target for other teams that don't have someone to play up the middle because they want to see what he can do with 500 plate appearances. So I think he fits exactly that type of player of the the long-term league late-season dart that I want to throw. You know where he's going to wind up. He'll be uh, the the next uh, Chris Taylor, Max Muncy uh, over in L.A. <laughs> Seem to keep uh, finding those guys. Well, if he ends up there, then he's probably good. And you're right to uh, stash him away now. I mean, that's always a good sign. If the if the Dodgers are on your wavelength in terms of the talent evaluation, then I think you you've done something right. Um, he's not up right now. I just wanted to throw him into the conversation because I know it's it's such a thin week, but kind of fits the same description that I just laid out there for Kevin Smith. What do you think of Leody Tavares at this point? I mean, in leagues where he probably will get called back up at some point down the stretch, why wouldn't the Rangers give him a look? He's shown power. He's shown speed. The slash line is okay in the minors. 245 is really the problem. 343 for an OBP, that'll play. 475 slug, that's more than I expected from Leody Tavares a few years ago. You know, when we looked at him early in his minor league career, I think there were plenty of questions about power developing, but 17 homers, 13 steals in 87 games. He'll only turn 23 in September. I realize a lot of the, the redraft luster has gone away because of what happened earlier this year, but what is your long-term outlook on Leody Tavares? Well, I will admit... Um not wasn't very bright because uh, I really got uh, sort of discouraged by what we saw from him earlier this year. But I think this too is is a great call and maybe put him in that same bucket with Kevin Smith, where uh, in a, a deep dynasty league uh, you can stash him away if you've got a spot and see what happens. See if he gets a, a call up or see what happens in the off season. Yeah, I, you know, I think we all. I can certainly say I've gotten burned plenty of times giving up on a player too soon and Tavares still young enough to turn things around and that's a, a, a tremendous call yeah keep him in mind because easy to forget about a guy who no longer appears on prospect list who's been buried in the minors for the last four and a half months and might not come back up until some point in september and i guess it's no guarantee because the way the minor league season was set up with that delayed start it runs as long as the major league season does so if we have minor league games all the way through september so you don't have the, well, where's the guy going to play when the minor league season ends? Well, it, that's not a problem as much. You can send guys to the fall league, but uh, don't forget about Leody Tavares, I think, is the the main takeaway here because I started to forget about him, and it turns out his AAA season has been pretty good, at least in terms of some of the things that we're looking for him to do. Uh, one more name to throw out there. Last week was great. If you needed a catcher, Travis Darno had come off the IL. Austin Nola came off the IL. You know, Jan Gomes was still out there in a lot of two-catcher leagues playing kind of part-time in Oakland. The only widely available catcher that we haven't talked about in this show before who I thought was a little bit interesting is Riley Adams, getting a lot of time for the Nationals right now. Kiebert Ruiz is going to be the starter, I think, in 2022. It's a question of just how much Adams is going to eat into that playing time, so maybe that's why the Nats want to give him this opportunity late in the season. It's a really typical 
uh, big whiff but nice power sort of profile for Adams. So I do think in two catcher leagues where you just need someone who's catching a lot of playing time and maybe has what would be 15-plus home run power over a full season, I think Adams could actually help you. I agree. I think he would be uh, just a, a good option for me in a lot of my two catcher teams uh, as a second catcher. And just to throw out one example there, I've got Max Stacy in a couple of leagues and he's been scuffling of late and uh, Adams could be a really good candidate to just plug in, maybe not to drop Stacy, but at least just um, let him play for a week and see if he's an upgrade. All right, before we go, Al, anybody else that has caught your eye recently or someone you're thinking about cutting after... Uh after a lot of careful consideration over the course of this week. I, I, nobody comes to mind in terms of somebody to, to cut right now, but um, somebody who I may target in fab this weekend is, is Drupal Cabrera, just because the Diamondbacks have a pretty nice schedule this week. His, his uh, surface numbers haven't been great lately, but the underlying numbers um, have not been bad. So uh, Diamondbacks uh, start off with three games at Pittsburgh. They've got uh, four games at Philly, but um, uh, other than uh, Aaron Nola, the opposing starters are are certainly vulnerable. So uh, yeah, I'd say that's that's one player that I would maybe add to the list as just a, a one-week streamer. Yeah, I think there's there's a little more shallow league appeal with him right now than there would be ordinarily because of where he's hitting in this lineup and the volume of playing time. I think he started all but one of the Diamondbacks' last eight games entering play on Sunday. So a heavy, heavy workload for him recently and the kind of guy that does have the ability to go off for a stretch. Like He still has a little bit left in the tank, so I'm with you on his Drupal Cabrera as someone that gets overlooked all the time like one of the more underrated glue guys i would say uh, of the last uh, 10 years or so well we are going to go but before we go i should say you can get 30 percent off a subscription to the athletic at theathletic.com slash baseball show so be sure to jump in on that get all the great content that we have on the site including al's weekly next week in fantasy baseball columns we've got all the other fantasy football stuff going up on the site. The draft kit went live a few weeks ago. So if you're scrambling to get ready for fantasy football season, we have you covered there too, but we're not going anywhere. We're getting you through the end of fantasy baseball season. We're here for the next few weeks, getting you through all the last waiver decisions you got to make everything you need to try and win that championship this season. Find Al on Twitter at LMelkyRBB. Find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are back with you on Tuesday. 